So one of the defining issues of this administration, of this generation and of the current population on planet Earth. At the Rio Earth Summit in June 1992, the world met to discuss the fate of planet Earth. Representatives from more than 160 countries and around 15,000 non-governmental organisations bashed heads to decide on specific agreements to balance environmental preservation with economic needs. In 2006, US presidential candidate Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth exposed a startling reality of what was coming before climate change had really hit the mainstream media. And speaking of US presidents, there are still those who do not believe climate change is an urgent problem, or perhaps not as urgent as we are being told. This week, Chief Minister Howard Quayle followed in the footsteps of other jurisdictions, local authorities, national governments overseas, and a range of campaign groups in acknowledging the climate change emergency we are now faced with. But how did we get here? Time now for a look back at some of the key voices in this debate on Ireland so far. I would argue there is no more important topic for humans to tackle at the moment than climate change because without a stable climate, humanity uh, will not carry on existing on the planet for very long. If we don't deal with some of our emissions, then some of these will be irreversible. It's not that we can leave it later and we can try and do something about it then. It will mean that you will lose the front in Douglas, that the, co- you know, the coastal erosion will be much more severe. These things that are going to change, that are having immediate impact in small island states around the world, will have an impact on the Isle of Man in things like food sustainability. We can't turn around to people and say, well, we're going to do this because of something that may happen in the future. This is an unprecedented situation and we need a drastic response I think there's already a clear mood amongst the public that they want to see action on climate change. We've got two local authorities now declaring in favour of more environmental policies. I think government's got to catch up. Telling people that something's going to happen 20, 30, 40 years down the line and they have to make big sacrifices now is a difficult one to sell. Extinction Rebellion uses non-violence direct action to persuade governments to act on the climate and ecological emergency. I'm hoping to get arrested, or at least be in the position that... But certainly between now and 2030, we need to look at how we're going to replace the the gas-fired power station. And that's Uh, I recognise that, from the budget's perspective, there were only some small uh, commitments, but we have made commitments in terms of actually tackling... Uh, climate change within the budget. There's lots of credible evidence that we're doing so. There's going to have to be some serious examination of funding and where we go. Obviously, I mean, my fear is that if we keep repeating these warnings in dramatic ways, they will tire. It'll be calling wolf too many times. But if you're proven to be wrong in that case, then you might be historically accused of short-termism to the detriment of the environment. That that is. But I think from, from our perspective on the Isle of Man, we are doing a lot. An oil and gas exploration license has been awarded for part of the Isle of Man seabed. The area of seabed licensed is off the east coast of the island and covers 266 square kilometres. Kroger, an Isle of Man-based company... So we won't be fracking in shale like that is being proposed in the northwest of the UK. What if they find something, the process going ahead... Biosphere itself is about community, environment. It's a whole gambit of things. And it's not there to stop us doing things. It's there to ensure that we use best practice and community holds together. 
I mean, he speaks like a man who hasn't engaged with any of the arguments or the science against his position. And if he hasn't taken that opportunity, then um, I struggle to see how he can maintain his position. Signs have been there. In, in fact, the IPCC have been telling us since their formation that human-induced climate change is going to has the potential to cause catastrophic damage to our world. We need to consult and it's not a delaying tactic, it's one so that we can set a course that people can buy into and uh, feel part of. Housing is unaffordable, university is unaffordable and now they're also going to be left with a dying planet. I mean this is one of these things that is going to spark uh, intergenerational conflicts and you see a very clear divide in the sort of people who are taking action on this and the sort of people who are motivated on this and those who think that it really isn't an issue at the end of the day. Uh, we are striking because the Isle of Man isn't doing enough for the environment. Uh, we've got 12 years until our actions are irreversible and climate change will be irreversible too. My parents actually encouraged me to take part in such a large action. Well, one of our English teachers is actually here as well, so definitely. <laughs> well, here you are. Here's your very real engagement. Here's the very real concern regarding climate change. And it's time that we took notice of the public and what these young people are saying. But we'd really like just somebody to admit that we as young people have political willpower and just because we're not part of your voting group this year doesn't mean the next year I'm going to be voting for you. These kids really care and uh, good on them. I'm glad they've all turned up today. It's brilliant. As a globally responsible nation, today I'm announcing the launch of a consultation on interim targets and options for possible inclusion in a new climate change mitigation strategy 20 to 2030. The Minister for Environment, Food and Agriculture, Geoffrey Boot, joins me in the studio. Also with us, Chairman of Manx Utilities, Dr Alex Allenson. And representing the Climate Change Coalition, we have Green Issues Coordinator for the Manx Labour Party, Joni Farragher, and Leader of the Isle of Man Green Party, Andrew Newton. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, the narrative here from the Manx government's largely been a case of waiting for the results of a climate change consultation, uh, engaging with the public and then making decisions afterwards. But this week, the Chief Minister appeared to acknowledge the climate change emergency at an active travel launch event with a week left on that consultation. This came as a stark contrast to the comments he made just one week ago. I don't think you can make any decisions till you've had the feedback from what the public want because at the end of the day it, it's the public view that we take on board and if they've got ideas and, and how we can improve situations. This is an emergency though according to a number of local councils and, and, and Parliament has declared this now. Um, can we afford to be waiting for the Isle of Man's results on a consultation? Well it's the I think it's the 3rd of May today and the consultation ends on the 15th so uh, whilst it's serious and we've got to move on to this I think a fortnight isn't too long. So, um, Minister Boot, if I could come to you first, um, this has been has been coined as a bit of a U-turn. Why? Why now? It, it, it's not a U-turn. Um, we've obviously launched the consultation because I think it's important that we have community buy-in and we find out what people want to do. And uh, we are now in the last week of the consultation. We've had nearly 700 responses across the whole spectrum of age group 
scripts and uh, we were able to make a judgment based on that and uh, that enabled the chief minister to uh, make his uh, declaration or statement on Friday and I think it's the right way to proceed and uh, the announcement that we're coming forward with a climate change bill that was, was always in the background but now we know where we're going and uh, I obviously will be uh, part of that in driving that forward and that will give us a, a tool to work with based on the consultation also on the known science and uh, we will be able to catch a, a number of other things as well as climate change but related such as plastic strategies and things like this that require primary legislation so it will enable us to have powers to deal with things more quickly coming forward. His pledge was to formulate legislation in the next legislative year. Um, some commentators on social media have sort of said that that doesn't really tie in with the word emergency necessarily. Well, everything takes time in government, sadly. Um, we have to get uh, bills drafted. Um, if you look at uh, other jurisdictions, for instance, uh, Jersey have done a similar thing. Uh, they haven't had a consultation. They're nowhere near where we are in terms of uh, preparation for legislation. Um, we will be driving this process, but there is still a parliamentary process to go through. I'm sure that my fellow members, when the bill comes forward, uh, will support it. And uh, that, that is our intention to bring it forward as quickly as possible. If I could bring in the representatives of the Climate Change Coalition we've got with us, um, what did you make of developments this week um, and, and, and recently? Well, the whole event illustrates the tenuous nature of sound man polity but you've heard me speak about this before the relationship between timor parliament legitimacy the dem democracy but political parties are trying to enter this debate to bring democracy back into the political process however you've heard me speak about this before the important issue here is climate change and i mean uh, obfuscation and delay uh, a climate change bill coming out in the next can uh, next uh, parliamentary year is just too long we need to be acting now and the things that can be done now amending road tax is something that could be done immediately that that should be entering the debate and certainly if there's a legislation that needs to be amended it's it's the yes uh, um strategic plan from 2016 5,100 houses by 2026, land, green field land, which is a carbon sequestration, sequestration um, uh, land, and there's going to be carbon embedded into it, built uh, uh, houses with two garages, with cars, just perpetuating this cycle of carbon emissions. That's the, the legislation that needs to be for poor Timbald, amending it, amending it to take these ridiculous figures devoid of merit about population growth and the need for a further 5,100 houses that's just going to be terrible for the future generations of the Isle of Man. If I could come to you Joni, the, the Climate Change Coalition's made several demands, um, some of which appear to have been met or some steps have been taken towards those being met. What, what would you like to see? Yeah, well firstly I'd like to say that we really do welcome this announcement from the Chief Minister um, but it is the first step in a very long journey and we have to acknowledge that no action has been taken yet um, although as I say this does open the doors to those steps that need to be taken. Um, so as you say we have we had several demands that we well asks that we are put into the government. Um, declare an emergency was one of them which has steps have been taken towards that I'm not sure whether it is official. It is government policy now since it got to Okay, so um, we obviously, we also have several others that we would expect the government to be acting upon very, very quickly now that they have declared an emergency. So banning fossil fuel extraction, um, investing in renewable infrastructure, um, 
committing to zero fifty, I think that has already been done as well. Um, looking at fitting properties with um, insulation, low carbon heating, utilizing natural solutions, um, and looking at um, investing in electri electrification of the public transport scheme, as well as looking at um, introducing free public transport. So all of those areas we would like to see strong government action on. Um, I'd like to just focus on the word emergency a little bit because in common parlance that, that carries with it quite a lot of, of urgency and immediacy. Do you, th do you think that carries the same sort of weight in, in perhaps political circles, Minister? Well, I, I think there are two forms of an emergency. There's one where it, it's life-threatening and uh, people um, uh, 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 risk uh, this is a longer term <coughs> risk factor but listening to the uh, uh, comments made there um, we've actually done an awful lot on the island and we've not been very good at selling that story I don't think people don't understand what's been going on behind the scenes and I just like to to revisit that. I mean we have whole biosphere status on the island we got that because of the, our culture and environmental situation as it was four or five years ago um, we've got the 2016-20 mitigation strategy we've fulfilled most of those obligations and we're now looking forward to uh, a new 10-year strategy uh, with hard targets and annual reporting we've got world-leading marine nature reserves revised building regs uh, are imminent with new sap ratings. Uh, we've got an agreed offshore wind farm array um, but there are impediments uh, with regard to the UK and EU uh, preventing that happening at the moment. We've got an active travel strategy. We've had energy efficiency schemes, the MUA, uh, and Alex may well talk about this, uh, are doing uh, trials with uh, electric vehicle and uh, heat pumps. Uh, we have a new agricultural scheme uh, which for the first time introduces environmental stewardship um, and carbon capture, peat uh, sequestration and trees in, in uh, various catchment areas. We've got a plastic strategy which is halfway through um, and we've just had uh, uh, and finishing the most comprehensive climate change uh, consultation that I know that's taken place anywhere and it's one that where we've explored what people will accept and it's fairly obvious from the results um, that people want to see change and we want to see change but it's how we pay for it we need to get strategies where there is a benefit to the public they will buy into that sort of strategy electric vehicles for instance they're a win-win situation on the island um, uh, heat source pumps um, electrification active travel people will all buy into this as they see it as a benefit to them um, but when it comes to cost they look to government to do a lot of things but the reality is government is their money and uh, we have to uh, see where we go but there's no um, uh, impediment on our part to move matters forward but we've done a lot and we just haven't sold it if you don't mind me playing devil's advocate minister um the climate change bill or the formation of one some think should have been the priority and why why has that taken as long as it has well we had a strategy in place when this administration started and we've worked through that strategy diligently but the ipcc report only came out uh, a short while ago in political time scales and uh, we've had to react to that uh, until then we were on target we had committed to the 80% uh, 1990 uh, target and uh, we were uh, on that trajectory things have changed the goalposts have moved we're now looking at uh, uh, different targets and we have committed to uh, near zero by 2050 we'll 
ban the registration of uh, fossil fuel cars uh, by 2045 and we're looking at uh, removing uh, fossil fuel boilers from uh, new homes from 2025 in, in line with what's happening in the UK. Dr Alex Allenson, Chair of Max Utilities, joins us. Um, just to pick on one of the points the Minister's made there, the net zero emissions target by 2050. Um, we've heard from you speaking about renewables um, quite, well, several times in, in recent months. How, how realistic is that as an aim? It's not only realistic, it's essential. I mean, one of the things we're talking about here is, is the, the rate of change. In March this year, we had a Timwall debate which tied in all parts of government from DEFRA actually arriving with a policy through consultation to the DOI looking in terms of um, active transport but also surface transport to Manx Utilities looking at how to facilitate this. This is a a programme right across government. I think one of the issues with a climate bill is is that we don't need to wait for a bill to to take action. What came out clear in the debate in March was that the previous climate strategy was talking about climate challenge. We've moved on a long way from there. But what we need to do through the legislation is actually commit not just this administration, but all future administrations to set targets, to set aims, to set goals. And I think that's what has possibly been lacking over the last 10 years. In terms of using sustainable um, power generation, again, that's not only essential, it makes good business sense. It is now far cheaper to use um, solar panels, to use wind farms, to build new power stations. So when we get to the 2030s, when we need to replace our existing power station in Paul Rose, we probably won't. We will be using micro-generation, self-generation renewables to actually feed into a smart grid and provide the power that we need with the energy security that we need, but at the right plot price that people can afford. If I could bring you in, Joni, maybe at this time. Um, we've heard previously about um, the idea of a future generations bill or, or similar. Um, what did that entail first? So that was one of the asks that we had made of government more recently, was to introduce a Future Generations Climate Change Act. Um, This was something that the Minister did mention in his speech on Friday uh, when he announced that the government recognised this climate emergency. Um, So we were really looking to Wales as an example there, really what it embeds into legislation is sustainability for future generations. We do already have that as a goal um, in I think the 2016 strategic plan and it does give that um, as a as a definition of sustainability but we need to actually have that as a embedded into legislation enshrined into law so that each successive um, administration that comes in is bound to make decisions based upon the future future the future of humanity really based upon future generations and how we can sustain our current standard of life for them. Speaking of uh, future generations I should add we will hear from representatives of the Isle of Man Student Climate Network after one o'clock. Minister what what work is being done in in that respect? Well I think in terms of sustainability um, government policy across departments is all about sustainability but the climate change bill will hopefully catch that and inform future administrations well it won't inform it will commit them to to certain things we 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 will put in place a 10-year strategy but with these goals that we've talked about in terms of uh, near zero by 2050 um so that that will be going forward and um, so i think we'll catch 
acknowledge that and uh, that it's our intention to do that i mean we uh, there, there seems to be a situation where it seems to be uh, government uh, 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 them and us we are all one community here we all want the best outcome for the isle of man whether that's environmentally or economically and from my perspective i'm working on the environment i want to work with you not against you um, I, I you know i've got grandchildren just like uh, you had We'll have children or we'll have children here. Um, we, we need to be working forward to make sure that we're securing the future. So don't, don't uh, look at us as, as the opposition. We want to work with you to make this work for everyone. And, and I think in your introduction you showed the, the, the importance of this long-term commitment embedded in legislation in terms of your comments about the American president. You know, one administration took it very seriously couple of um, presidents down the line, one then withdraws himself completely from international obligations um, to favour big industry in, in America. And I think what we're trying to do through uh, Climate Change Act is actually cement that, not just for this government, but for the whole country, the whole nation, that we know exactly where we're going to over the next two decades. If I could come to Andrew Newton of the Isle of Man Green Party. Thank what, you, what, what you've been hearing here, is this in line with the party or your personal vision well at this point i'm here representing the party as part of the climate change coalition um but it, what i draw on is i praise minister boot for confirming or clarifying what miss um, the chief minister said on friday and and there's some interesting implications of that statement for instance the uh, the investigation of the site off mackled in terms of the gas how can that go ahead how can the isle of man government license that make a decision and um, say that that can go ahead in an environment where it's declared a climate change emergency and I'd hear Mr Boots thoughts on that but um, on one moment the Isle of Man Green Party wrote today to the Chief Minister and the Ministers, the Council of Ministers um, invite, uh, requesting confirmation um, that the Chief Minister will put forward a resolution to the Council of Ministers asking the United Kingdom to extend the Paris Agreement to the Isle of Man as the Council of Ministers requested of the United Kingdom government in 2002 when it asked for the Kyoto Protocol to be extended to the Isle of Man as it was done in 2006. And there should be no reason why the climate emergency does not gender that resolution being passed by the Council of Ministers and a request going to Westminster for that decision to take place. We talk about accountability, we talk about how a climate change bill and act, if it passed, would uh, bring accountability to future governments, future generations of the Isle of Man. The Paris Agreement is something that's a global agreement bringing accountability to all nations and the core message in that is equity. Equity between all nations. The Isle of Man consumes per capita 15 tonnes of carbon uh, per person. Uh, we produce 10 tonnes, but actually it's what we consume because we offshore emissions to countries around the world. Nigeria, less than one tonne per person. That is not equity. Minister Boot, um, do you have any response to this? Yes, well, quite so? a lot to cover there, actually. Um, in terms of the Paris uh, Accord, um, that can be enshrined within the Climate Change Bill without seeking uh, or, uh, permission from um, the UK. When it comes to gas exploration. I understand the angst there, but uh, when we had UNESCO here, they, they accept that gas is a transition fuel. And if you look around the UK and around the world, uh, nations that are making the most progress uh, with their climate change uh, technology and research, for instance, Scotland and the UK, one of the second largest uh, hydrocarbon exploiter in, in Europe, Norway, the largest hydrocarbon exploiter, but one of the greenest nations, they are using that money to uh, um, 
look at how they've changed their whole economy. Gas will be with us. It's a, a, a reality um, for, for the next uh, 20 or 30 years. That's according to uh, UNESCO. So if we sit there, I mean, this, it is by no means certain that we will find uh, gas. And if it is there and it can facilitate some of the things we need to do, then so be it. If we don't burn it or produce it uh, or produce it, someone else will. Um, uh, in the meantime, when you talk about uh, the uh, CO2 footprint of per capita in the Isle of Man, it's circa 10 tonnes per person. Um, and that's worked on the uh, proper UN figures. If you start comparing us uh, worldwide, uh, we, we sit in the middle of the developed nations. Australia's uh, a lot higher, US is higher, Canada's higher, um, and at the other end of the spectrum there are some that are lower. And it depends on whether you've got nuclear power stations supplying power, for instance, uh, which we obviously haven't got. Uh, we can make that better, and I think we're going to strive to make that footprint smaller. Uh, but when you start looking at developing countries like Nigeria, China for instance, the largest CO2 producer, its per capita output is a lot lower than ours because there's a lot more people there. And it's the same with countries like Nigeria um, and India. Per capita their output is less because there's a lot more of them. Um, and uh, so it, 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 it's, it, it's very difficult to compare. Put in perspective, we produce around 800,000 tonnes of CO2 a year on Ireland. Um, if you look at the UK, they produce 36 million tonnes, um, oh, no, 361 million tonnes, and worldwide output of CO2 is 36 billion tonnes. And that puts it in perspective. So, Minister, we're just a drop in the ocean then, in that case. What, you know, what can we be doing to, we, we are, to make we're a not. difference? We are, but we're not. Um, we're a biosphere nation and we can all do our bit. And I believe that we can be uh, at the forefront of uh, um, developed world nations. And uh, we have... Uh, great opportunities particularly with electric vehicles uh, we don't have range anxiety and things like this on Ireland we have a, a captive um, generator on Ireland um, we have the potential with the windshore array where we've already contracted uh, to actually be completely uh, renewable uh, within maybe eight ten years and according to the consultation it uh, I, up until recently uh, onshore wind has been a no-no whenever I've been out uh, um, canvassing with my constituents but the consultation shows us now that that's changed and people would accept onshore wind so we will be looking at those potentials in the near future. Dr Allenson how do we empower the Manx community to affect change here? I think one of the things about climate change that, that people need to understand is it means breaking from business as usual um, in terms of our culture and, and how we go about our daily lives. And again, this comes down to the fact that this, as the Minister has said, this is right across government, but it also has to be a buy-in from the population that things like flying away for day trips to, to the UK, things like um, wasting single-use plastics, things like taking cars everywhere and putting thermostats up so that we've got really hot homes are no longer possible because if we're going to really affect um, the, the, the um, causes of climate change and really try to at least stall if not try to reverse some of the things we're seeing we need to change our behaviours and, and this is, is everyone on the island Government can lead, government can follow, but government has to represent and reflect that need. Had a message in um, for the minister, and then we'll return to our, our conversation. Um, 
Andy says the UK has to plant 3 billion trees. Proportionately, that means the Isle of Man will need to plant 9.3 million. How is Minister Boot going to achieve that? Uh, I, I, I can't uh, uh, comment on those figures, but uh, t certainly from our perspective, uh, with the new agricultural support scheme and schemes that we're um, working on at the moment, we will encourage tree planting. But I, I can't see 9.3 million, and I'm not sure where that figure comes from, but we will be encouraging that. In our upland areas, we have a lot of carbon sequestered in, in the peat, um, and uh, we are re-wetting some of the upland areas, uh, even as we speak. But can I just say from a Manx utilities perspective, we've got a planning permission, um, a planning application going in for, for Peel at the moment for a regional um, sewage treatment plant. Part of that, unfortunately, means cutting down quite a few of the older trees there. So we're going to be planting over a thousand newer trees to make up for that. And I think it's this sort of sustainable development we have to get through so that any government uh, d development at the moment, which means cutting down trees or means freeing up area, we compensate for that by planting for the long term. Um, maybe one for you, Joni. I know there's probably a long list of things, but um, what kind of things could we be looking at? Yeah, so I like to kind of break it down into, into different areas. I think the first one that we need to be looking at is a mindset change. Um, as a society, we really have got into a habit of over-consuming, and that's something that we can look at with the adage, reduce, reuse, recycle which is kind of overused and people tend not to actually look at it as um, and break it down into what it is. You know, reducing what we're buying, uh, not buying as much, reusing what we can, so not throwing things away and obviously recycling where possible. And I think that mindset change needs to really be embedded now into people. And that can come from the top. It needs education. Um, I was just going to say one thing was spoken about a bit off air just during the ad break there was about... Um, travel habits and people's choice between boats or aeroplanes or whatever it might be people aren't driven by by environmental factors probably I, mean, I would I would guess anyway people are, are predominantly worried about price really that's what it boils down to I, isn't it I think that's very right there was a, a, a comment on the BBC during the week about if you book a flight often most of the airlines will allow you to offset your carbon um, through carbon trading and by making a donation to plant trees only one percent of people do that so whilst it's a token gesture, it doesn't go anywhere near to, to um, correct the damage caused by aviation um, emissions. But we, we've got into the culture of cheap flights and popping away to the UK or Europe for weekends, and people really like that. How are we going to adapt that um, is a very good question. Do we put extra taxes on, on fuel for, for planes? Do we put extra taxes on people to leave and arrive at the Isle of Man? Or do we do a body of work to, to make sure that people are only travelling when it's really essential? And some of the business trips, for instance, to the Isle of Man or to the UK are done by conference call instead. Can, I'd, I'd like to comment on that, really, because it's, it, it's interesting. And the consultation uh, is quite revealing in, in as much that uh, when you ask the question uh, who should pay for some of these measures, it's always... Uh, around government and I can understand that response but when you start talking about would you contribute so much of your salary would you pay carbon tax the answer becomes quite negative um, and that's why I go back to where I started on this we need to get community buy-in and uh, how we do that needs careful thought but certainly on Ireland taking personal responsibility is something that I'm very keen that people do why not buy locally produced food? I mean, we've been promoting this for a long time, um, but still we import a, a lot of food that we don't need to import. We're growing 
a lot of good produce locally it comes with low food miles and it's good stuff produced frequently in an environmentally friendly way Andrew Newton is it a case of, of breaking the supply demand model perhaps well yeah absolutely and I think um, uh, Joni and Dr Hansen have raised some really important points there and just on the back of uh, Minister Boots point I think well I look at the schools and the government canteens themselves what do they supply and do they supply the highest grade Manx produce and also a, a meat-free Monday for example Joni talked about personal consumption the quickest thing we can do for our emissions now is reduce our consumption it's immediate and the United Nations and uh, the European Commission and countless other bodies have said the, on the individual level the quickest thing we can do to reduce our emissions on the greater scale is to reduce our animal product consumption and so I, I would ask the minister will he be proposing in DEFA a meat-free day once a week in the DEFA canteen and at the, the schools consulting at council ministers level uh, with uh, Minister Grigine will they introduce a meat-free day in the schools? Minister? I think the answer to that is uh, in the title uh, of the department it, it, we, we also support agriculture and uh, there are conflicting views. Um, I agree with you uh, that procurement policy uh, needs to be um, looked at. Unfortunately procurement policy is, is, is driven by value for money and we have tried to um, turn that into more of well there is a local input we should look at that value um, but it's what the public demand the scrutiny uh, over public expenditure it's not like running a private company everything we do is open to scrutiny and uh, also it's open to being re-elected um, we have to do things now I agree with you entirely I would like to see all local produce as much as possible in schools certainly we're addressing uh, when I say we are the schools are starting to address the issue of plastic bottles use for instance there have been fountains in these schools for a long time but they've not been using them and um, so we're revisiting that and you make a good point there it's strange that schools uh, aren't uh, uh, using their water fountains and uh, uh, sort of reusable water containers and have been selling plastic bottles that is bad news but can I just make a point about agriculture as well because I agree with you about about meat um, but but I also think it's absurd that when I go shopping in, in Ramsey I can buy um, hamburgers made in America flown over that and those American cows are fed on corn um, which are grown at the expense of other crops or South American beef which is even worse because it's soya fed due to deforestation particularly around the, the Amazon basin so I think we need to to you know use our own mentality really use our own ideas not to buy these products to buy locally produced products and then to insist that that the agriculture we have on the Isle of Man is as uh, sustainable as possible. I think, that, to be fair, agriculture on the Isle of Man it, it has a good story to tell. Um, but uh, it, it's very difficult because we can't start banning the import of these products. It doesn't work like that. Uh, education uh, and getting people to take personal responsibility for what they buy is, is, is where we're at, I think, in that respect. Last week we heard from some wildlife experts and ecologists. Um, one of the things that came up was about rewilding, um, particularly on agricultural land. And something that happens in the UK, I'm led to believe, is that um, farmers are given a subsidy to rewild some of their land. Um, do you have any views on that, Minister, as a, as a, as a, a policy, perhaps? I, I do indeed. Um, we, we are um, at this moment uh, uh, revamping and uh, restyling our agricultural support scheme. And uh, one of the things that's very apparent to me that below the mountain line, which is the more 
productive arable land, um, we actually removed subsidies um, when people planted woodland, for instance, and did some of the uh, good stuff that they now uh, want to do. Now we are looking at that and we're going to introduce a series of measures which will help that in terms of uh, um, leaving uh, space round fields, uh, wilder zones, stubble over winter for instance to help wildlife and things like this. But above the mountain line, um, the Defer estate runs to around 28,000 acres and uh, environmentally we are informed that that is in fairly good condition. Um, it, it, it's been well managed by government over many uh, years um, and it's farmed in, in a less intensive way because there is a requirement for grazing uh, to keep uh, certain types of undergrowth down and, and, and enable uh, carbon sequestration uh, and peat and what have you. So we've got quite a good story to tell there and, and it's, a, it's an evolving story, one with the new grant scheme. Uh, part of it's already uh, in, in place. The, the next stage above the mountain line will be in place by the end of the year and I think there will be some excellent measures and I hope they will be well received uh, by uh, people not in farming as well as uh, uh, in farming itself. Uh, Joni, what would the Climate Change Coalition make of, of those comments? Well, obviously, that was one of our most recent asks to the government was to utilise natural solutions where possible. So it was about um, protecting peat stores, um, about planting trees and protecting seabeds. Um, I think the minister has, has answered some of those, but not all of them. So we would be we would absolutely be looking for a much firmer idea of how we would use natural solutions from the government. Can I just chip in there because um, we have 10 marine nature reserves at the moment and they are acknowledged as world leading. We are leaders in this and uh, our fishing uh, management strategy is also uh, acknowledged as being one of the best in Europe. So we are leaders uh, when you talk about seabed in, 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 in that particular aspect. And I think something else we haven't sold that well. We try, but um, we are. A couple of messages in to put to the panel, if I may. Um, Alice says, I don't think government should be pushing responsibility onto individuals. We can't install offshore wind. We can't ensure all new homes are built near to zero carbon. We can't even buy renewable energy through the grid like people in the UK can. Minister. Well, I, I think uh, personal responsibility is part of the story. Um, we are revisiting building regulations to ensure that any new build and uh, when conversions or, or, or improvements take place will be uh, to higher specifications and uh, at the moment people can make that choice they can build a passive home if they want to no one's stopping them doing that um, but the, the truth of the matter is most people will build to the regulations and that's why we need to revisit the regulations we're not trying to push things off to people at the end of the day I think there should be a realization that when they say government should pay for this it's not government it's the community through taxation that pays. We want to get a balance between the two. And, uh, you know, if I, for instance, when I uh, renew my next car, I anticipate I will buy an electric car because that's the right thing to do. And, it, and, and it's a good thing to do because it'll actually save me money at the moment. Uh, I insulated, we had our roof replaced uh, a few years ago. I put a lot of insulation in it and that's uh, reduced our energy bills considerably. Well, these, these are good things for people to do and uh, it doesn't cost them anything in the, the longer term. They're getting the benefits. 
Another message in from Neil. Um, in my view, the root cause of climate change and environmental issues is the ever-increasing human footprint on the planet. I firmly believe that worldwide legislation should be immediately introduced to restrict women and men to producing a single child, regardless of ethnic or religious persuasion. Um, Didn't they try that in China some time ago? <laughs> um, Andrew Newton, any well, views I think on that? Chancel and Piketty, Thomas Piketty, the renowned economist, wrote a very good paper in 2015 identifying that the Pareto criteria held for emissions in the world. That is, um, 80% of the emissions are created by 20% of the world population. We have to look at ourselves in the developed West as to these emissions. Um, I think in their... The, 45% of global emissions are created by 10% of the world. And uh, Professor um, uh, Kevin Anderson has identified that, well, he's suggested if you fly over twice a year, then you're in that top 10%. And so we need to look at ourselves, not going global population needs to be reduced. It's like we need to reduce our consumption. We've talked about this already. Thank you very much indeed for the messages continuing to come in. We will tackle some more of those after one. We're approaching the one o'clock news. Minister, did you feel that your administration, your tenure, would be defined by climate change pressures in the way that it has come to be? No, if I'm honest, and the Chief Minister was of this view when we started the administration, Brexit was going to be the defining issue. I mean, the climate change and uh, the environment were important aspects of uh, what we were doing going forward, but it has taken on a new impetus, and uh, it is surpassing Brexit in its importance. And uh, we are acknowledging that as a government, and I think uh, our Parliament is acknowledging that. So we, we want to move forward as quickly uh, as possible, and I I, I hope we are demonstrating that and we're going to get this message out better uh, and more thoroughly than we have done in the past. And how much do those moves owe to the lobbyists sitting with us in the room, perhaps third parties that have, have been you know, campaigning pretty tirelessly? I think everyone has a part to play. Uh, I think the IPC... Uh, see report uh, that came out recently uh, added new impetus to, to the situation but um, uh, lobby groups uh, as always we look at them and we decide uh, you know whether they're they're legitimate or not and I, I, I thank um, the youth climate change for instance for bringing matters to us and they have sensible ideas and uh, uh, the Green Party and uh, climate change coalition we're willing to talk to everyone we're in this together um asking the climate change coalition then where are your efforts going to be channeled next if you like what what comes next so we really do need to be watching quite closely what action the government are going to be taking now um for i don't want to get bogged down in too many details but obviously um what we know up to now is that our emissions since the benchmark levels in 1990 have risen by 67%. In contrast, the UK's have gone down by 41%. That is the mark of success or failure. And at the moment, we don't have any success on that front. So we do need to be bringing those levels down very sharply. And Mr Newton, then, um, how, how would you measure success in terms of the the views of the Green Party, perhaps? Well, realistic realistic targets and then being held to counter them. Um, two observations I'd have quickly, which I want to get in. The, the power generation is only, the emissions from electricity is only 25% of our emissions in the Isle of Man. What we need to do now, today, is electrify the economy. If we're going to reach anywhere near what the action that's going to be necessary to reduce our emissions. And um, 
I don't know, Max Utilities, Defa's position might be, I don't know, after the power station is finished, we'll just import renewable electricity from the UK. But that still means we need to electrify our economy, our heating systems, heat pump scaling and uh, solar thermal scaling. That needs to be introduced now, not stopping gas by 2025 and new boilers. The transition needs to happen today. And that's that's just the transition. What we should be doing is scaling up um, renewable energy as well, because we've got this 75% of emissions that need to be turned into renewable electricity. Can I just start a comment on that? Because we are already committed to electrifying and electric vehicle uh, network on the island, and the uh, MU have already committed to a smart grid, which will help manage uh, any community generation uh, that comes online uh, with better battery technology in the future. So we are already working down that. The Nation Station, Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. We've had a bit of a change around of guests in the studio. Um, Chairman of Manx Utilities, Dr. Alex Allenson, stays with us. Uh, Defa Minister Geoffrey Boot and Joni Farragher and Andrew Newton of the Climate Change Coalition are not with us for this hour. Instead, Devon Watson joins us from the Manx Labour Party and also the Climate Change Coalition. Um, and we also have some representatives of the Isle of Man Student Climate Network with us. Um, three, to be exact. And if I could hand over to you guys to introduce yourselves for us, if you could. So I'm Kira Sowerby. I'm from Barclay High School on the Isle of Man Student Climate Network. We were formed in March this year after the uh, first stu- uh, student strike. Um, and that's what we organise and... Um, yeah, we're a group that's um, trying to get the government to do more about climate change. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Emily Thompson. I'm from Castle Russian High School. And uh, we're here to kind of get a more youthful uh, voice across of the whole climate change problem and show that we are interested and we do care. Hi, I'm Archibald Elliott. I'm also from, obviously, the Student Climate Network and I go to Castle Russian High School. We feel that we can try and persuade the government to listen to youth's voice because it's ultimately our future which is on the line with climate change. Thank you very much indeed the three of you. Um, You've sort of answered this a bit already but tell us a bit about what the Student Climate Network was formed to try and achieve. Uh, The Student Climate Network was formed to achieve a organised youth voice and be able to provide a base for the strikes to happen. These strikes will continue until we feel enough has been done by governments and other organisations to ensure that we can still live with the same lifestyle as we have now, but obviously adapted to be more environmentally friendly. Um, We're trying to do this by obviously putting pressure on the government and are aiming for a meeting with Geoffrey Boots in the coming weeks to discuss our views on the current strategies which are happening. And so for those people who perhaps haven't seen on the news or haven't seen you in, in Douglas, um, tell us a bit about what form um, that, that action has taken so far. Uh, so, so far we've had quite, well, obviously quite peaceful uh, protests, but it's been our first one we did collectively was really quite, um, it was really large. Um, we had loads of students out uh, all together. We were all chanting. We all had signs and we also got to talk to some MHKs about what was going on. So what we're just trying to do is peacefully protest a um, a voice of a generation that can't yet vote and can't get their the government uh, quite uh, uh, immediately that what they want. So the only way we can do it at the moment is really strike. And uh, Kira, what sort of interaction with 
um, MHKs happened and were they were they sort of receptive to your views? So there was a um, probably about five or six MHKs who came out and saw us at the first strike. Um, they had some good conversations with us. Obviously, it was quite like a loud and um, atmosphere, so we didn't really have like a proper meeting then. But um, they were, uh, I think, generally supportive of our views. However, I think after the strike, we haven't really seen much of that come through um, until the last sort of week or so when the climate emergency was announced. Um, but I think generally we've been quite well received and it's certainly got people talking about the issue a bit more. Um, yeah, I think it's been quite positive. And I guess the fact that this network has been formed shows maybe a bit of a generational divide between public opinion. Would that be fair? It seems as though it's garnered the interest of, of people of, of of younger generations, yeah. Yeah, um, you can see from the proportion of people that we've had out on strike and even more who've uh, been unable to come out with us who are in support of the issue that there is a massive youth voice that needs to be heard on this. It's our uh, our future planet and um, we want to make sure it's the best that it can be. Um, we want to rectify mistakes of uh, past generations and make sure that ourselves and our children and our grandchildren have got a, a future plan to live on and can enjoy it the same that we have. Thank you very much and thank you for joining us. Um, also joining us we've got Devon Watson in the studio from the Manx Labour Party and Climate Change Coalition. Um, the four of you were, were sat in the studio for the first half of the programme and heard the comments of, of the Minister and other guests. Um, if I could come to you Devon maybe, what were some of your reactions to the discussion there? Yeah, it's deeply frustrating. Um, and it's great, we have to applaud uh, the Chief Minister for making and uh, declaring a climate change emergency but we have to view it within the broader context of Meng's politics. Promises were made in 2002, promises were made in 2006, promises were made in 2010, and promises and commitments were made in 2016. These were all promises made and promises broken at the end of the day, and there was no firm or uh, solid commitment uh, to any actual um, strategy or plan at the, at the end of the day. Um, we have to understand that the protest against climate change is also a protest against government inefficiency and government breaking its promises and not taking people fundamentally seriously, right? So if we want government to be accountable in other areas, we have to hold them to account here uh, with climate change and we just haven't seen that as of yet. And so the comments from Minister Geoffrey Boot in, in the first half of the programme, is, is that is that cause for feeling maybe a bit more enthused perhaps? Well, I, I don't think so, right? Because he fundamentally says that, well, we're all in the same boat at the end of the day, right? But we know that uh, as a wealthy government minister, he doesn't have a cold house in winter. He doesn't ride the bus. Um, these are things that affect working and middle class people. Um, and these folks are generally insulated from the consequences of their actions, right? When climate change does happen, he and people like him will not be in the firing line. It'll be young people and it'll be people in the middle class who are most hard hit. Um, and that's why we just really haven't seen any action at the end of the day. And it's deeply frustrating. Uh, Dr. Alex Allenson remains with us for this half of the programme. Um, a point perhaps we didn't touch on in the first half is about the differences between the effects felt by different maybe economic echelons in society. Um, and we we've heard a lot certainly in the past year about about fuel poverty um mm -hmm. and that's i don't know what what are, what are your views there i suppose a bit about, about well thanks very much for inviting me to stay on i i, I 
pull you up on on one thing you said, which was a generational divide. I think, and I applaud young people for protesting, but actually I think what will come out of the public consultation is that lots of people on this island are really worried about climate change, and they should be. You know, as a father, I'm worried about my own kids. My grandfather has just moved um, in in terms of his energy efficiency, thinking about buying an electric car. This has to encompass everyone. And I think what we need to do from a government point of view is get the buy-in from everyone. I think you're quite right that some of of the, the efforts we make can affect different parts of society more. Lots of people have been saying, well, why don't you give subsidies for people to buy electric vehicles? Well, that's great if you've got the money to buy a Tesla. Mm. But if you don't and you need to get the bus, how are we going to actually make your life better? How are we going to deal with, with you in, in, in terms of energy efficiency for a rental accommodation if you don't own your own home? How are we going to deal with that? And I suppose that's one of the aspects of climate change. Is it, is it isn't just one department. It has to be across government. It has to be across every single aspect of how we live our life, from the clothes we buy to the homes we live in to the vehicles we take or drive. And I think what we're seeing now is a completely coordinated approach across government, which is going to be backed by legislation to make sure that those promises are not broken in the future, but are actually written down in law. Um, On that note, so one way that we can solve issues like fuel poverty and give a giant tax cut to people lower down the economic line and particularly old people who don't have the ability to drive, this is, we all benefit from this. It doesn't necessarily have to be a generational divide. Is free public transport. This has been rolled on many places. It gives people an alternative to owning a car. It connects villages with the cities themselves, gives people more economic opportunities. We raised these concerns to Tinwald in a presentation and not even two weeks later, they raised the prices that kids have to pay to use the bus and they cut bus services in villages in the north. This just shows that we aren't being taken seriously. Like in general, people will be polite, they'll smile, they'll nod along with us, they'll tell us to calm down and relax, but then they'll directly implement uh, actions and legislation that are directly against our interests. Okay, but but if I can just say there's no such thing as free public transport, it has to be paid by somebody, it has to be paid by the taxpayer. Um, it's regrettable that prices had to go up. Completely, completely agree with you. The demand responsive transport was actually part of it was to reduce CO2 emissions because you're not going to have empty buses driving around the north all the time with nobody using them. But what we need to do is actually look at the effects of public transport, trying to get people into more sustainable ways of of transportation and moving between, which is why part of the public consultation is talking about free public transport. But free public transport comes at a cost that has to be borne by the people. And again, if we're going to deal with this together as a nation, we need to respect that. Yeah, and that's perfectly fair, right? So, I mean, if public transport was free or fare-free, then you probably would have people more riding in the north. You would solve the problem of empty buses. But additionally, right, um, what this is, is it's essentially a tax cut for people who ride the bus, who are making the responsible decision and aren't driving around. And if we can afford tax cuts for multi-millionaires and a guy who's worth three and a half billion pounds, I think someone or a single mother on 12,000 pounds a year uh, also probably deserves a tax cut, right? I mean, just in terms of economic fairness, who does the island represent? Does it represent uh, its citizens and does it represent like the people or does it serve like a, a small group of very, very, very wealthy uh, investors um, and uh, folks? So the Treasury Minister, if he was here, would say that it's not just the tax cut, but because they've increased the personal allowance, you've taken people out of taxation completely, 
within the last two administrations. So that is being addressed. But I think what we're dealing with here is a whole lot of different objectives. We're talking here about climate change, but also from a government's point of view, it has to deal with poverty. It has to deal with the health service. There are lots of competing um, priorities. What we need to do is bond them all together so that moves in one particular policy direction, whether it be taxation or transport, are still sustainable in terms of climate change. Yeah, that's 100% our goal. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. And this is really refreshing to hear. I mean, we can solve uh, many issues of sort of like generational poverty and solve issues like climate change at the same time. We need a new deal. We need to uh, sort of sort out many sort of economic issues. And if you're going to be restructuring things to deal with climate change, we might as well restructure them to deal with other sort of systemic inequalities at the exact same time. I'm interested to pick up in or pick up on one thing that was discussed a bit there, which was to do with bus fares for, mm, for young yeah, people. Yeah. Uh, to, to bring you guys in, you might be bus users yourselves or you yeah, might yeah. certainly have peers who do. Um, how, how was that sort of received amongst students? Uh, well, I've got, um, I've have three brothers and uh, two of them have been, they've left school, but they always uh, had free buses to school and now it's just me and my little brother. And it comes to uh, the point where it's actually cheaper for us to drive to school now than it is to get for a bus. Same with Archie here. It's cheaper for him and his brother to get, uh, to be driven to school than it is for them to get the bus because they've, the government's decided that students need to pay more for their buses, which I think is completely unfair because we are just trying to do, go to school and learn. We're not exactly, uh, and by going to school, we're not, costing the government that that money that they they need so there's no need to uh, raise our bus fares because it's just completely yeah, unfair i remember the days when buses were free i would had to, got the bus to school more people actually got the bus then so it would be releasing less carbon emissions into the atmosphere then they moved it to 20p and that was okay that's acceptable it's still cheaper for me to get the bus then it is 25 35 and now 40 is becoming more cost effective when my brother leaves in uh, August uh, in July to go to university for me, my parents just to drive me to school and back again then actually get the bus so it's making more cost you pay more to get the bus for the more environmentally friendly option it makes absolutely no sense yeah trying to get to work in, in town in the morning is is difficult because traffic backs up um, ages mm. like um, the traffic is, is is a massive massive issue and it's growing in places like Douglas and Castletown um, and you can't widen the roads and destroy historic buildings. So we need to figure out some way of getting cars off the road if we want uh, the city to be walkable and if we want to have businesses and shops and a vibrant community again, rather than just a, a, a series of parking lots. We need to fix urban design. And these are a lot of issues that can be dealt with by dealing with climate change, right? The minister previously said, listen, we've got a lot of other priorities, but we can walk and chew gum at the exact same time, right? We can deal with these sort of things. We're a small, agile, nimble government, and we can respond accordingly. I suppose, um, Dr. Allenson, sorry, you're the only government representative still with us, but um, maybe the government answer perhaps to some of those points might be the active travel strategy. Well, Uh, well, well, exactly. I mean, it's, it's no accident that the chief minister... Um, made his speech on on Friday about climate change emergency 
at the launch of Active Travel, which is, again, redefining city centres, trying to make safe routes for people to walk or cycle to school to get people out of cars, um, but to actually make them safe and make them um, acceptable to people. Because, again, it's this carrot-and-stick approach that I think we haven't got right sometimes in government or, or, or in the way we live, that you have to encourage people to do the right thing. You have to make it easier for them to do the right thing than do the wrong thing in mm. terms of driving to school. Um, and there are various ways of doing that. Some of them, are, those in, involve free fares. Some of those involve subsidies. Um, but some of those involve just looking at the way we organise our streets and organise our cities to make, it, they make them far more friendly to people rather than vehicles. It brings me quite nicely to a question we've had um, emailed in. Um, or text, sorry, I should say. Um, it's an anonymous one, but it's an interesting one. What changes have the students made in their own lifestyles to make a difference? This is something I, I'm sure you guys have heard have heard before. Um, have you got any answer to that, both for yourselves and, and perhaps for peers too? Do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah sure. So um, I uh, haven't bought a plastic bottle for like upwards of six months. Um, I Likewise, plastic bags. Um, I bought plastic whenever I can, plus I... I mean, I can drive, but I try not to as much as possible. Obviously, I do try and get the bus, but um, it, like we were saying before, it's actually cheaper for me to drive than it is to get the bus. And at the end of the day, I am a student saving for university. However, um, yeah, if possible, I do do ride shares if I can. Um, so I, I drive my brother to school if I do choose to drive, and I drive other people should they need a lift. Um, obviously, it's not the most environmentally uh, friendly way of transport, however... I do try and minimise my own impact. Um, I I know um, you guys are vegetarians, and I do try and uh, I also reduce my meat consumption. So I'm not a full vegetarian. However, I do only eat meat like once a week. Um, yeah. Uh, do you mind if I just uh, address the general issue of individual contributions? Of course. Because currently, one of the biggest arguments is like, mm. well, uh, you don't wear a hair shirt and you don't live in a in a cave therefore uh, you're a hypocrite if you ask us to do something about climate change right um but this is not an individual issue right when people uh, want a fire service often the people act uh, advocate for like having firemen they aren't themselves going out and fighting fires we don't have to fight criminals ourselves we don't have to go catch immigrants ourselves we don't have to like perform medical care and surgery ourselves right there are certain things we outsource to the government because it's more effective to do it on a collective basis there are individual things we can do but 70% of all climate change emissions come from uh, 100 large companies and governments, right? So even if we were today never have kids, never have anything that would make life meaningful, BP would still exist, right? Kroger would still exist. These things that are destroying the island and uh, destroying the planet. So what we need is collective action rather than individual action, although individual action is good as well. So this is why this has to be a government or public democratically led process. And yeah, we're only humans and we're going to respond to the incentives. The role of government should make it cheaper to do the right thing than to do the wrong thing. And that's exactly what Allenson says. And this is why uh, one of the few MHKs we really do happen to trust. So uh, thank you in that regard. I'm going to throw over really to one of our guests who has a question for the chair of Max Utilities. OK. Uh, hi, Dr. Allison. Um, I was wondering, I was reading in a report which was published by Tim Wards about the electricity uh, which we sell to the UK to make a profit. We have no carbon tax over here, which means we're exempt from paying more for the electricity we produce by non-renewable means. And it's predicted, it was forecast in 2016, that this year we'd be making something like 4 million from exploiting the carbon tax 
which we don't have on our island by selling electricity back to the mainland. So we run our um, Paul Rose power station plant in excess and our Peel power station in excess to sell this energy back to the UK and it's non-renewable. I see no reason why we're doing this and exploiting the carbon tax. Okay. Um, yeah, very good point. Thank you for reading our, our annual report. You're quite right. The Manchester Utilities exports um, electricity, also imports it as well. We've got a really good energy trading um, department. There are times, particularly during the winter, where generation um, facilities in the UK aren't sufficient and they will import electricity at premium price. We export it and the money we make, the profit we make, we manage to stabilise the prices for consumers here. Now, that market is constantly changing. Um, in terms of imports and exports. Similarly, when we um, have got really windy days, we've been importing green energy because we can get it cheaper than the stuff we can um, supply through through gas. So it's quite dynamic. And what we'll probably see is as renewables reduce in price in it, because they're more efficient, we'll be um, able to supplement some of the power we're producing through um, oil, particularly, and gas, and use renewables. If I could uh, build upon a theme there, we've had an email in from Roger. Uh, Roger says, electricity in the Isle of Man is almost exclusively generated from fossil fuels. When is it estimated that the gas turbines at Pullrose Power Station will need replacing? And what environmentally acceptable form of power generation will replace gas at that time? That's a very good question because it's all about transition and I suppose what a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today is transition to, to a completely different way we, we run things and we organise our lives. The power station at Paul Rose, the, the gas um, turbine, will probably need to be decommissioned around about the mid-2030s, um, which fits in with quite, quite well with a lot, of, a lot of the targets we're setting. And really the, the, the big question is what, you, what do you replace it with? What Manx Utilities are doing is investing in a very smart grid so we can swap electricity around, we can deal with the, with the load an awful lot, and we can also balance the load out. One of, one of the problems we have at the moment is during peak times, everyone puts their kettle on at the same time. Um, and so you need that, that generation capacity to deal with that. If we can even the load out a little bit, we can then look at investing in renewables. And we're going to be having to do this sort of in this decade to replace um, Paul Rose. So what we need to do is look at things like solar panels, look at wind farms, either onshore or offshore, which we know work and, and, mm. and are very efficient, but also look to the future for tidal and also for wave generation and anything else we can find to actually produce power that's sustainable and environmentally friendly. On the tidal point. Um, so Chief Minister Howard Quayle campaigned on a manifesto and he won on a manifesto in which he promised or made commitments toward tidal energy and wind uh, energy. Um, and he's not fulfilled those promises and we're three years into the administration. Well can I correct you on that because actually two um, deals were, were, were done with private investors who wanted to explore the possibilities of tidal energy, particularly in the south of the island. Neither of them have actually managed to do anything about that. So that, that again was leaving up to private companies to actually produce the templates, do the research. Um, but unfortunately, at the moment, because of the economies of it, they weren't able to do anything. That will change as we get better technologies in, in the future. Why are we relying on private companies to provide a public service? I mean, why was the public option not even considered? Because of the expense of, of, of those technologies technologies and the fact that they're quite experimental at the moment. One of the legacy issues from previous administrations is that Manx Utilities has got a big debt that we need to pay off. 
So we're, we're caught with a whole lot of different, different um, priorities. We've got to pay off a debt. We've got to make sure we've got energy security. We've got to meet environmental targets. And we've got to keep prices reasonable for people to actually use the power. I'll, and it's tying all those together. I'll come back to the debt in a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Another, another message in, this is from Graham, who asks, uh, the UK and many other jurisdictions release real-time figures for CO2 emissions versus electricity generation so that citizens and devices can choose when best to charge or run. Uh, why hasn't Manx Utilities done this, and when does it plan to do so? Yeah, again, a very good question. One of the aspects we're looking into with our smart metering um, system is bringing in time-of-use tariffs so that people will actually get a benefit from using electricity in those off-peak times. With the gas generation at the moment, if we can run it to 100% efficiency, it's more efficient. So if we can try to balance out that load, we can allow people to switch to using their devices or their washing machines, dishwashers, charging their car at different times of the day, balance the load out, get a more efficient grid, but also hopefully be, be beneficial to them in terms of the, the bills they're going to be paying. Uh, if we are already exporting power to the UK um, and we do have to pay the debt as it is, Surely, if we just build wind turbines, that additional excess capacity um, can be sold off to the UK. Mm. And when we do eventually decommission the power station, um, there's that smooth transition. You don't have those same issues with debt. I mean, it seems to be a profit win-win solution. Um, why have we not seen uh, any movement on this? Okay, Because the demand from the UK is very changeable. As I said, sometimes we sell to the UK, other times when they've got a surplus, we buy from the UK if it's the right price. I think you're right, though. One of the main impetuses of the policy set out by the Defence Minister through the consultation are decarbonising the economy and electrifying it. So if we can switch to electric vehicles, if we can switch to electric heating of homes, if we build up the energy demand, that increase in energy demand will be met by renewables. And that's how you get a transition mm -hmm. between getting investment in renewables, meeting increased demand, but also paying off a debt so that your generation isn't having to pay for the, um, the, the, the broken promises of previous ones. Just finally on this, uh, Dr. Allenson, you've mentioned um, about the, the Manx Utilities debt. Those with a medium-length political memory will, will remember some of the pretty astonishing figures around that. Yeah. Are your hands tied because of that context in this administration? They're, they're, they're not tied, but they are slightly restrained because, uh, as I said, it, in terms of um, paying off that debt, that's really important. I don't want to saddle the, the future generations with, with that. Um, last year, the Treasury Minister and Tim Wald agreed to write off £95 million pounds of that debt, so we've got it down, but we need to pay that off. So that, that means that we need to use the assets we've got and we've paid for um, to the maximum potential. It means that it, it'd be quite difficult to suddenly close, close it all down and walk away with, 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 with that debt. But what we can do is actually transition paying off that debt with mo moving to renewables. Um, so, so I'm hoping that we can, as we get in, in, in certainly into the next decade, we can see increased renewable use on the island, um, we can see the smarter grid, and we can see a much brighter future. One thing that is deeply frustrating, though, is that like we didn't see any really massive discussion around the 95 million pounds of debt that get written off. There's some grumbles and complaints, but this was something that was simply allowed to happen. Whereas the cost of free public transport on the Isle of Man would be about six million pounds per year. Um, we can buy a boat worth 100 million pounds. Um, uh, it's weird that when cost becomes an issue, 
cost is only an issue when it comes to doing the responsible or the correct thing, and the government has no problem just burning piles of money when it comes to doing something uh, strange or frivolous or something that's otherwise considered essential. Well, well I slightly disagree with that because the main reason the £95 million um, debt reduction was agreed by Treasury was to make sure that the price increases that we were going to have to make for consumers were mediated. So it was all based on an economic model that to pay off that, that debt, we'd have to increase prices well above inflation. We've now com committed to inflation-only increases for at least the next five years. So that £95 million, a lot of that went back into people's pockets mm. in terms of reducing the future costs of electricity. Uh, like, I'm not disputing that that debt was absolutely essential and that was a correct decision to make. But I mean, in terms of other economic stimuluses, it seems to be there's a dichotomy in how we view these things. And when we're making an investment or a green investment, this is the only time where we get like uh, our pens and, paper, uh, pens and papers out and we start becoming accountants, right? Like, uh, it feels as though that if we can take a responsible attitude in that regard, we absolutely have to be taking a responsible issue in other regards. Um, and we just hopefully the climate emergency is something that hammers that home. We've been talking a lot about theoretical uh, discussion points and you've mentioned again the word emergency. I'd like to bring the Student Climate Network back in. Um, in terms of the immediate term, do you feel enough's being done? Is there enough urgency? Uh, I, I wouldn't say so. I've looked at, well, what Mr Boot has said. He's said that um, all the goals he's set are future, so it's uh, by uh, 2025, it's by 30, it's by 50. There's no immediacy in what they've said. It's all something in the future. But what we really want, as it is our future we're going into, is something now to show not only us they're doing something, but to see show older generations that there is some hope coming through. We don't want this to be in the regard like Brexit. They get to June 20, oh sorry, March 29th. Oh dear, we've got to move back the date six months. We don't want to be, we reached 2050. We haven't reached net zero. Oh dear, we're gonna have to wait another six years when we've already ruined the planet. We need to mm. take action now, make that 0% as a goal much further before 2050. And that will then ensure that we manage to reach it then. And I'd also ask, when is the debt for the power station actually going to be paid off? Uh, um, the, the, we've got the, the debts in, in a couple of different parts. Part of it is bonds, part of it is loans to Treasury. And those debts need to be repaid by 2035. So you're saying, basically, because you said you we're not doing any investment because we have the debt. So we can't no, do no, any investment. No, no, I didn't say we're not doing no, any I mean investment. In, like green energy. But did, 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 didn't say that either. The, we are investing a huge amount in infrastructure, um, mainly around water and sewage at the moment, but that will come on in terms of increasing investment in terms of renewables. And there's some really interesting stuff there that's got cross-purpose. So, for instance, um, in the UK, energy companies are putting solar panels on reservoirs, which creates energy, but also reduces the evaporation of water. And we need to make sure, particularly on the Isle of Man, that we understand that it's not all about energy. We've got finite resources here in terms of land, in terms of water as well, that mm. we need to conserve and use appropriately. We should try and, I think we should try and test the renewable energy now. Yeah. So we test it now, like do small scale projects, see what works best so we can get the best out of our resources here, rather than wait till maybe 2030, late, late 2020s, and say, oh dear, we've invested loads in this we want to build this big wind farm oh it doesn't really work in this location we need to do this testing now and get the stuff in before we reach the time where we need it the student climate networks organized another strike coming up soon yep. um tell us about that and tell us about what the what direction that will take perhaps so that strike is on the uh, 24th of may um 
we're hoping that uh, we get plenty of people there. Um, it's in response to the emergency being declared. However, we haven't seen any action taken in the immediate term. Um, even if we had just like one short-term goal that would be accomplished over the next say a year, that would prove to us that the government was dedicated about um, making these um, uh, cutbacks for uh, 2050 for the net zero uh, aim. Um, so we would like a short-term goal to be made and seeing that it's dedicated and that we meet it in time and to a sufficient standard. We've, we've, we've heard the requests of the Climate Change Coalition. Um, would you would you echo those? Is, are, there, are there anything that you would suggest for the, for the immediate term? Uh, yeah. yeah, that would be definitely we could try and reduce, let's say, set a definite goal to get our bus fleet maybe electric or maybe plastics definitely at the moment we're in the middle of um collecting eight thousand plastic bottles to show how many they're actually using at schools we've probably got about a hundred now i'd say so what we want to do we want to show like an actual image representation visualization visualization of what's being sold in schools and because eight thousand it doesn't sound like much but once you see it it could be it's it's something completely different so uh we're definitely um we're we're mirroring a lot of the climate change coalition but then we're also bringing in a more school aspect and trying to get our schools to change as well yeah, yeah. we still feel that parts of the government still have as said in the uh, chief minister's speech a treads allure uh, a, a view on climate change so it's kind of i was quite shocked to hear him use that language that there's time enough in climate change to sort out there isn't time enough we have a set time there's a set out in the ipcc reports um, that we only have a set amount of time till 2050 and then it's too late, we can't do anything. Yeah, it's out of our hands. What we saw in the previous interview is that when we actually asked, so what have you done? Um, the minister pointed back, well, Mr. Boot pointed back to the existence of the biosphere. Uh, it's important to note, particularly for the listeners and everyone at home, that you can have a biosphere and then you can also be producing too much carbon at the exact same time. You can't look, go back and, and point to the doing the bare minimum of your job and then claim that that, that is enough at the end of the day. Um, particularly when the exploitation of offshore gas has a massive, massive mm. impact on the biosphere that hasn't been fully determined, hasn't been fully planned out, um, and we can't sacrifice our biosphere status. Um, and it feels as though this administration is head on to do just that. Um, a texter has preempted my sort of final point. We've got about three minutes left of airtime. Hi, are you going to mention that there is a motion in the May sitting of Tinwald to declare a climate emergency? Would be good for Tinwald to confirm the Chief Minister's words. And that, I think, is in reference to a motion from Daphne Kane. Um, Dr. Allenson. Yeah, I mean, first of all, can I just thank the, the young people for coming along today? Um, you coming to Tim World, you talking to us about your own passions about climate change have obviously had an effect. I think the direct effect of that was um, Daphne Kane putting her motion down. And so what that gives us on the 21st um, is, a, is a, an ability to debate this. And so I, I suppose I'd say to, to the young people, Get in con- you, you've now got 10 days, get in contact with your MHK, make sure your voice is heard on the floor of Timwald, um, because that, that motion's going to go ahead. Obviously, we've got a really welcome um, statement from the Chief Minister, but we can go beyond that and actually debate what that means, and hopefully um, perhaps give you some of the, the um, promises you want for, for action right here, right now. Um, we spoke off air a bit, Dr Allenson, and um, cognizant of the fact that Daphne Kane was putting this motion forward, um, some have said that the Chief Minister's words this week 
we're perhaps preempting that a little bit, but I guess however it comes about, this discussion is is is, is the, imminent. The discussion has to be had. Um, I don't think it was necessarily the motion that that preempted his his moves, although I, I'm not commenting on on his behalf. But we've seen over the last two weeks a whole range of, of similar motions coming before the UK Parliament, the Welsh Parliament, the Irish Parliament. The the tide is turning. Um, and I think that the main thing for, for a government is, is to be aware of that, to listen to the voice of the people, to look at what's happening both on Ireland and globally, and to respond to that in a responsible manner. And I think his statement on Friday did exactly that. Just finally, um, we are just about running out of time. Um, just to, to, to maybe round up, what would you want to see as an absolute priority in the immediate term, Devon? So, uh, three things. One, uh, maintain and preserve our biosphere status. Secondly, mass investment in renewables. And uh, thirdly, reducing our carbon footprint and investing in uh, climate change solutions that can uh, improve the lives of working middle class people. You can find more info on this uh, at our Facebook page. You can directly contact me on Facebook, Devin Robert Watson, if you've got any questions. Um, and yeah, you can actually just see me milling around the streets. I mean, climate change, we've, we've publicized what, we, what we're uh, on about. Yeah. Thank you very much to our guests, uh, Dr. Alex Allenson, Chair of Max Utilities, Devon Watson of the Labour Party Thank and you. representatives um, of the Student Climate Network. A final uh, comment, perhaps. Will you guys be attending this debate in Tinwald? I'm curious. Um, I'm hopeful too. Um, 21st, yeah, I... Yeah, I've we got exams this year, invited. so... Um, we haven't been invited, but no. we'd be more than yeah. willing to show our... Yeah. yeah, you don't need yeah. an invite. For oh, well, you just, yeah, you yeah, just come along. It's our school time, so I'm sure we'll try and pop yeah. along. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to Perspective on Manx Radio. Thanks also to Aaron Ibanez, the producer of this programme. Take care.